You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to Dots, Lines, and Destinations. It's episode 377. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined this week by Seth Miller. Hey, Seth. How you doing? I'm all right. Foz is, uh, I think, traveling maybe today or tomorrow or just busy. I don't know. But maybe we took a week like off. Anymore. Yeah, we took a week off, so he just disappeared. He was like, we were traveling too. There's, there's been a lot of travel. It's weird. It is. It's very It's very weird. Yeah. Um, my wife's actually in Austin with the kiddo, so it's been quiet in the house. So, mm. yeah. Um, we have a lot, a lot today. Let's see if we can keep it under an hour. I'd be impressed if we do. You're telling me you need me to talk faster because that's going to be a problem. Maybe it might. I mean, for the people trying to listen, not for doing it. <laughs> it it's like two x speed is really four x now. Is that, is that what you're saying? <laughs> Apparently, I'm in, 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 in unintelligible at two x speed. You know. <laughs> uh, well, the first thing I think we should talk about is, is Russia in general, and there's just been a lot happening with with Russia and airlines in and around Russia. So, um, Aeroflot's pretty much. Uh, not flying, except maybe some international routes. No, the other way around. They're only they're almost exclusively domestic right now, which is okay. super strange. Um, right, and this is tied into like we talked about this a little bit before. There's all the leased planes, and are the Western leasing companies going to try to recover them? And because you know, the airlines can't pay their leases and can't maintain them because they can't get support from the aircraft manufacturers and all this other stuff. So, um, Aeroflot's network having been very international historically has been reduced to almost entirely domestic and really much smaller just in general than historically Mm -hmm. it had been, uh, which is very strange to see. Um, They, I think they've, they've started to restore a few routes. One of the, you know, obviously the things we've mentioned before, I think was discussion about like, if they do fly a plane internationally, even if it's not one of the least jets, could a leasing company try to seize it as payment Mm -hmm. for the least jet that's, you know, been compromised and one of the interesting things i suggested on twitter the other day was that maybe the russian airlines will just start flying only ssjs internationally because no one's going to want to impound those (laughs) uh and it actually seems that one of the things aeroflot is doing is mostly flying if as it resumes some of its international service uh is sending more uh ssjs so so internationally i mean they can go to basically north korea china turkey Cuba, All the stands, the Dominican stands. Republic. They're they've been doing evacuation flights via Agadir, Morocco. So that's like that's those. that's one part I want to talk about. So I mean, Putin's kind of came out and called people who don't return to Russia traitors, um, and so people are being asked to return to Russia, which I think is a weird request. But um, so I guess you can be recruited. Yeah. I, I don't know, uh, or drafted. Scripted, I think, is the word you're looking for. Yes, that's the one. Uh, and so they have to get these people have to get home if they if they if they want to do yeah. that. Uh, and there's not an easy there's not really a lot of easy ways to do it. So you think no. Aeroflot's like helping with that? Well, but again, Aeroflot's not flying international, so they can't. Um, like, yeah, so I mean, how do these people get home? Uh, very very carefully. So Azure Air, which is one of the other big ones, private airlines there, uh, is flying a lot of international service. They're the ones that have been doing the Agadir, mm. uh, Dominican Republic hops. Uh, they were also one of the ones that did a lot of the Cuba trips. Uh, they've been doing Vietnam as well, not Trang. Mm. They've been running charters out of in you know, both to central, uh, one of the cities in the center of the country as well as Moscow. And the, the Agadir stop is because the flights to the center of the country basically need the extra legs that, this, uh, that the planes can't make nonstop all the yeah. way to Punta Cana. Um, so that's part of it. Um, there have been cargo flights. It's, I saw one today, I think, went to maybe Kinshasa and another one that might've been in South Africa hmm. on a, an IL 76, I think. So there's some weird stuff going on there, but how do people get back? Best I can tell right now it's been sort of third party airlines. So like Emirates and Qatar Airways and Turkish and uh, other non European airlines are the only carriers that have capacity in and out right now. It it would be interesting. I mean, I, I guess Emirates and Qatar and Etihad even don't really want to burn their bridges with Russia because they really need some of the overflight stuff. To, to yeah, stuff I, I can't tell how much of it's overflight and how much of it's just like they're getting paid and they're happy. I mean, right? They're happy to sit on the fence and say we don't support you, but also we're not going to you know, economically close, close and, our airspace to you. Yeah, yeah. and 
they benefit from access to weapons. They benefit from various other things. There's investment that's going on there, right? I mean, there's there's a lot of different things in play that make it easier for them to certainly financially say, sort of just, you know, hear no evil, see no evil, do no evil kind of thing, except they certainly can hear and see it and are, and are doing it. But, you know, other than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, that's, I think, part of what's going on. Um, I was actually a little surprised in retrospect. I went and checked. I don't know if you remember when, when Belarus forced the diversion of that uh, Ryan airplane mm-hmm. and everybody imposed sanctions on them. One of the aviation related sanctions is you couldn't buy a ticket to Belarus anymore, right? You can't mm-hmm. buy a single fare through from the U S to Belarus. Uh, you can buy single fares still through to Moscow. Seriously. Yeah. It's on Qatar or Emirates or whatever, but uh, you can buy it as a single through fare or Turkish. Uh, so, I'm, I'm a little surprised by that as well, as far as sanctions go. It would seem to me that would be a very, right, like it's, it sort of doesn't matter, obviously, mm-hmm. but in many ways, it's a interesting way that they could cut off easy access for a lot of things. So, I don't know. Wow, yeah. I'm, right? I'm, and, well, especially like if you're in a world where and it's getting, it's clearing up and we'll talk about it a little bit more later. But like if you're somewhere where like you have to connect, it means you have to go air, land side and that means you have to have COVID tests or whatever, as opposed to transiting air side. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, you mentioned Vietnam, like right now, Vietnam is kind of open, but not really. And there's a lot of requirements to get in and out of Vietnam. Um, I was reading the ANA release on it because they, they, I guess they're excited yeah. because a lot of people connect through Japan to go to Vietnam. Sure. Um, so I'm surprised that that, you know, Azure Air is flying there to pick people up, and maybe it's expats that live there or have been there since the beginning of COVID. I don't know, but it's it's odd. Uh, I don't know. If you're stuck abroad, it seems like the easiest places to go, like you said, the 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 Emirates uh, or Qatar or Turkey. That seems like the easiest places to get back into Russia. Yeah, and the Russian airlines are even still flying to Istanbul. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that that also helps, but uh, and as, other, as part, I, got, uh, I was just gonna say, as part of this though, like they were they were saying that deregistering the planes that Russia was trying to deregister these leased planes is that really happening? So uh, it's not that Russia is deregistering them; it's that uh, Bermuda has deregistered them. Oh, okay. So I thought Bermuda I thought as part of well, it's I think maybe it's a little chicken and egg, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Um, Bermuda has deregistered them and said they are no longer legally able to be flown or insured, essentially. Gotcha. Uh, Russian airlines are, in some cases, still flying them, which gets funky. Um, and then on top of that, there's the question about some of them are actually being shifted to a Russian registry so that they can fly. Gotcha. And at least so far, the number shifted to the Russian registry. Right? There's the, the questions about would they be considered stolen, essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. If you, if you have a plane that's leased to a Western leasing company and you shift it from the Irish or Bermudan registry over to the Russian registry, have you effectively stolen that plane? Uh, thus far, there's some interesting conversations about who's doing that and how many. You know, I, There's something like 600 planes potentially affected. Uh, very few so far have crossed that line and the ones that have you know the ones that have been registered are mostly either outright owned or russian banks doing the leasing okay. yeah so we'll see there's also been uh some interesting conversation the folks at airline weekly had a pretty interesting story about how the private airlines so s7 and uh, i forget who else they cited um not aeroflot and rosia and padeba whatever i don't know mm-hmm. um how the private airlines are sort of looking beyond what's happening directly. And because they're not entirely arms of the Russian state can do things like ground those planes and tell the leasing leasing companies, we promise we're not going to use them. We're doing our best to cooperate and maybe not give them back to you directly, but like, please don't come after us Mm -hmm. to try to make sure that they have access to whatever market may exist when this is all over. They don't want to. They don't want to lose the good faith of right. the lesser. Yeah, um, and it's somewhat. In many ways, it's easy to see, except for the overflight rights and sort of the bilateral treaties that are all involved. How Aeroflot and its subsidiaries could get shut out, mm. and the private companies could 
you know, assuming this ever ends and whatnot, um, could have some benefit to how that comes together. So I don't know. There, it's, there's a lot of moving parts, obviously. Um, and who the hell knows, uh, how that's going to finish out. But the, uh, the overflight thing is interesting to me. Uh, Finnair and Korean are now officially not overflying Russian airspace. Uh, Finnair was forced not to. Korean is saying it's choosing not to. Uh, and whether that's because you know, of memories of tragedy a few decades back uh, when one of their planes <laughs> got shot down uh, or just because like if a plane diverts, now they won't be able to get parts and yeah. you can't get maintenance. Um, so they're or all they potentially where they potentially lose the plane. Or it's seized, right? And they've got a couple hundred people stuck. Um, lots of risk there. Uh, so they, they're both now flying basically polar routes uh, rather than Trans-Siberian. And apparently back in the day, Finnair used to give out uh, certificates on board saying, congratulations, you've flown over the North Pole. Mm-hmm. And is now doing that again. Like it brought back its 1980s <laughs> swag because it's brought back its 1980s routes. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, a good um, thing to come out of some of this. I guess, yeah, and then the other ba- the other one is uh, Airbridge Cargo, which is a massive cargo operation based out of Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, has like a dozen or so seven four seven freighters and some other planes. Uh, has grounded its Boeing and Airbus fleets. They, they've grounded their Western fleets because they don't have hardware. Wow! So they're still flying the Illusions, mm-hmm. but not the Boeings. <laughs> uh, it's incredible to me like the kind of some of the complexities around all this to, to keep the planes flying, to keep everybody supplied with the things that they, you know, need to maintain the planes. Yeah. Uh, and some of the questions being asked around all of that. And I, I wonder if we're going to see like an issue uh, or an episode of the, what is that? The, uh, the show where they like repo planes. Yeah. Uh, you know, where they're picking up Russian planes and, you know, some some foreign country where they thought they were safe to to, yeah. to land. Well, there, there's a couple triple sevens, I believe, still on the ground. Uh, one in Sharm and one in Ergata in Egypt that flew in right as things started. You know, d- during sort of the first week of the chaos, and then they got on the ground there, and then, as best I can tell, haven't left. Even though what? other planes have come in behind them and started moving people st- again. Yeah, I wonder if they had mechanical issues, and now they're worried they're not going to be able to get the part to fix it, or or they're leased and someone wouldn't let them off the ground. Oh yeah, like wouldn't fuel them or give yeah, appearances. right. Like yeah. there's, I think we talked last episode about the Cape Town Convention and sort of what that means. But if you're party to it and someone puts in a claim against a plane that's a leased plane, like it changes some of the legalities of it. And mm-hmm. Egypt is party to it, so is Russia, but has chosen to abdicate that uh, responsibility. But there's like a lot of countries over like the Dominican Republic and Morocco are not, mm. for example. So that explains why they're flying there part of why they're still flying those routes. I think, um, there, yeah, there's, it's a lot of weird legalese and politics going on in the background. Um, another thing I know we talked about a couple weeks ago was seizing the private jets of the oligarchs. Mm-hmm. Um, and how are they going to find them and which ones and whatnot? I haven't seen the details, but we, apparently the U S has produced a list of a, approximately 100 jets, including some of Abramovich, Abramovich's, um, presumably his 787. Um, I'm happy but, to go uh, pick it up for him. I, I volunteer. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that are apparently, I think it's in Tel Aviv last I heard, but oh, I, can, I can take a trip to Tel Aviv. That's no problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was another interesting thing. It's like Israel had been pretty neutral or neutral isn't really a good word, but had been pretty quiet about the situation and not, uh, participating in any of the sanction stuff. And finally it was like, he realized they probably had to. And so, um, despite the, again, significant Russian investment in tourism and whatnot that happens in Israel has finally sort of said, okay, well, fine, we'll, we'll play along. And it's honoring a lot of the embargo stuff. So, no, that's good. Um, you mentioned SSJs. So, is is Aeroflot re bringing them out or to to fly routes or? So there, uh, I think so. Red Wings, I think, flies a lot of them. Okay, it's like maybe their whole fleet. Um, and then, uh, and they are flying actively today. Um, it's hard for me to switch my filters around on flight radar, so that's tough. I think. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, Aeroflot has they, some as well. Because they've they've sat grounded for a while, right? Like, am I remembering that correctly? Like they were they weren't being actively used there for a little bit of time. But maybe I'm wrong. Um, different airline. Like I think Red Wings has always sort of had their somewhat flying. Maybe there was a period where they were grounded. Yeah, um, I mean, there's there have been times where they were grounded because you know they crashed. Uh, yeah, like that fuel sensor, or the airspeed sensor that froze. 
Yep. The veto tube froze over and plane crashed. Oops. Um, but uh, I believe I'm seeing you know, I can pull up some stats on the SSJs right now while we're talking. But uh, overall, I think it's uh, not terrible. In terms, like I don't think they've been ever fully grounded. Gotcha. Um, so, so Red Wings has a bunch. Uh, how do I get a full list of just the type? Damn it. Oh well. Not useful right now to you. Sorry. No, it's no worries. I was just I was just asking. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that they're you know they're having to rely on this plane, which it has decent legs, yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Uh, Aeroflot does have some in its fleet. Uh, it looks like Yakutia. Yakutia. Has some. Yeah. Uh, so Aeroflot active fleet. Yeah, it seems to have maybe 10 available of the SSJs. As many yeah. as 50 in the past? Wow. Wow. Yeah, so I, mean, it's... I, I, I would imagine that some of their 738s will also make some international trips just because mm-hmm. um, they're wholly owned now, but or at least from Russian companies. But again, I think they'll be very selective in which countries they send them to. Just to make sure they don't get seized there. Because they can't yeah. get, so they don't get seized. Um, yeah. Also, I think, yeah, that's basically the only two interjet, of course, but those are not happening anymore in Mexico. Um, it's fascinating. I'm like looking at Russian airspace. It's yeah, just, I just keep that tab open pretty regularly now. <laughs> uh, I mean, because like S7 has E170s and stuff, you know, as well. Yeah. So it's not like it's just uh, 737s and A320s. There's other yeah. types that are. Yeah, and Ember has joined the we're not going to give you support game. Yeah. Um, is this plane still there? Wow. Um, anyway, yeah, there's been some there's been some interesting triangle routes also. Uh, Moscow to Istanbul to Antalya, which is on mm-hmm. the south coast, and then back up to Moscow. Uh, in addition nice. to the Natrang to Yekaterinburg to Natrang to Moscow triangles as well. That's a fun one. Yeah. Uh, listen, I mean, they're great lines going on, but I'm not sure. Not for the, Not for the right reasons. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Delta a little bit. So there's been rumors uh, that they were talking to Boeing, and I think those rumors are now a little more solidified. Uh, yeah, I think it, we're certainly seeing uh, far more significant indications of progress in the conversation, shall we say. Uh, up to 100 max 10s is the rumor. Oh, wow. Or whatever. So, and but the, they need to replace interesting- 757s. Okay, they're they're replacing the seventy sevens, but that's interesting to me that they're not going for like A three twenty one Neos. So, I mean, say what you will about Airbus can always make time for a good customer like Delta, mm-hmm. but and the volume that Delta probably wants them in at the speed they want to get them into service, Airbus is probably saying, "Yeah, we can get you five years from now." Mm. And depending on who you believe, some people have suggested that Boeing is similarly backed up. I think it's probably not quite as backed up, but right, I mean, this is the same conversation we had about Allegiant. Mm-hmm. Why did Allegiant pick the Max? Because it knew it could they get could, them. They could get them, yeah. yeah. yeah and they said so explicitly. Like We talked to Airbus, Airbus couldn't get his planes fast enough. Um, and they didn't want to only have used at that point. So, hmm. I, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, since they're replacing the 757s, and Delta uses those 757s, kind of like United, or I guess Continental, Old Continental uses them, or use them. Uh, in a way that's like transcons and some of their transatlantic routes even. Do you think we'll see that with life flat seats? Or do you think, like, will they have a mixed fleet? Um, kind of what United's talked about doing with putting life flats for their transcon types? Yeah. Stuff? I, it's a good question. I think it kind of depends on how quickly Delta also retires the 7.6s. Because, mm. right, those are actually the bulk of it. its transcon fleet right now. Yeah. Um. And even some A330s, actually, I think, to secondary destinations. But I think, like, the JFK to uh, uh, LA, San Francisco route is almost all 7.6 on Delta. And I'd have, I'd have to check uh, where we're at on, you know, schedule-wise on where they're flying mm-hmm. 7.5s international. But I think that, for the most part, I, I would expect to see that we that Delta um, need certainly needs a premium product still. So if these planes are set to go that route, yeah, there would be some premiums involved, uh, premium yeah. cabins involved. Uh, arguably, it is easier to do that on the 321 Neos uh, because there's just that smidgen wider helps with getting the premium cabin yeah. on board. Uh, you have the question of whether the Neo order, which they think they've got like 130 or something like that, of which they've taken delivery of one, so there's, there's still a long runway. 
uh, if you will, on deliveries there. Uh, aren't the LRs, they aren't the XLRs. So there's some opportunity there also where they would be well suited to sort of domestic operations. But again, like the 10, the max 10 is especially in a premium config where it's uh, fewer seats on board could just sit and run transcons all day long. It's mm. not going to cross the Atlantic though. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Where uh, LR or XLR from the 321 family, Neo family would. So, um, so, I mean, that's a good question, right? Like these then are going to be domestic planes really realistically or do, not domestic necessarily, but non-transatlantic planes for Delta. That's, uh, that's non-transatlantic. I would say it's, it's mostly domestic. So, and somewhere in the middle of all that, my laptop decided to uh, revolt. So either you got an interesting conversation from me about the max 10 from Delta or not, but uh, <laughs> I'm not going back and saying it again. So good luck. Well, you've got, They've got you've plenty got of pilots more... who know how to fly fly seven thirty seven, so that's cool, right? That's great, and they they got a, they got a, a pay raise today. Yeah, four percent. You see that? That's right? Yeah, four percent uh, is great. Oh. <laughs> our max fun maybe in China. Yeah. So what's happening there? Uh so Boeing has a. It's not quite a. It's not a final assembly, but a completion center where they do sort of final finishings for some of the max deliveries. Mm-hmm. Um, and last week flew. For the first time in like two and a half years, a max over, maybe three years, flew a new plane over to go to the finishing center for eventual delivery to a customer. Wow, that's big. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's a little weird. It's like around the new year, we were talking about how China had laid out the uh, sort of circumstances under which it would allow the max to return to flight. And perhaps foolishly, we all assumed that that would actually happen. Uh, And so... It hasn't yet. <laughs> uh, they haven't finalized the rules and they haven't finalized the circumstances, et cetera. So uh, unclear what's taking so long there, but obviously getting a, a new plane into the, the cycle of potentially being ready for delivery is should be seen as promising. Um, it is interesting that Boeing chose a new build rather than one of the ones that had been previously built and stored to make the trip. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Do you think, um, I mean, does this signal to you that maybe they're going to start this more frequently? Or is this one of these areas where it, this is maybe symbolic? And I, I think until there's really an understanding of what, like, the path to true recertification and reintroduction of the type is. Yeah. That it would be silly to move many over if for no other reason than, like, if China somehow decides that some weird extra maintenance process has to happen. Now they're stuck there. They're stuck there. and almost certainly that work is going to happen before they go over. So I would assume that Boeing will do its best to hold the planes until it's really approved. But I think it's probably a little more than symbolic in that if this is to, this is the plane that's going to do test flights or there's something else going on where they want to sort of validate everything using this plane and, you know, that all the processes are ready, that Boeing is ready to ramp back up at the delivery center, et cetera. Uh, There's also that little problem of China's going into lockdown again because of COVID and a, Substrain of the Omicron variant, I guess. BA.2 we're now tracing. Uh actually the original. Like, yeah, the the uh I was, I was laughing. First Corona got screwed, then Delta got screwed, and now British Airways, because it's the BA2 variant, but they're not <laughs> flying Concord anymore, so maybe it doesn't matter as much. Uh, uh, <laughs> or the 318, they don't have a flight two right now. Um but yeah, the it'll be interesting, right? I, China Eastern flies JFK Shanghai and is trying to reroute those flights to a nearby city FOC is the airport code. Like, I don't know. Is it Fuzhou? Yeah. Something like that. Um, so, is that because uh, they're locked down there? Yeah. And, Shanghai's locked down. Oh, wow. And there's, and they've applied to do this for all of April. So they're expecting it, that one to last a while. I mean, uh, I could see it being kind of what you're talking about where they, Boeing wants to make sure that the processes that are in place at the delivery center match, mm-hmm. whatever it was set up originally to be. Yeah. Uh, it's been two and a half years, like you said. So clearly, you know, people might need to be retrained and we need to make sure everything looks good and works well. And, you know, that kind of thing, but uh, definitely something to keep an eye out for. See more planes going to to China. The max, the max is going to China. That would be uh, kind of cool. Kind of a certainly would be nice to have uh, deliveries happening. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure Boeing would love to have 737s start moving out of all their parking spaces. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk about masks and, like you said, this new variant. Uh, the UK has dropped their mask mandate, I guess, for flying. Um, BA originally did this, right? I mean, so 
one of the other airlines, like well, it's not Thomas Cook because I don't exist anymore. One of the smaller carriers did first, and it wasn't EasyJet. I don't even remember who, but it was a Jet Two, maybe. Mm-hmm. One of the the smaller players did it first, and then BA said it was going to, and then backed off on doing it, and now seems to be doing it in some markets, but not all. Uh, on Friday afternoon, there was also, or Friday at some point, there was news that the Dutch airlines, so uh, KLM, uh, TUI, Netherlands, and uh, what's the low cost carrier subsidiary for K- France KLM? Uh, uh, that one uh, <laughs> is are all dropping the dropping it, but I only saw it in Dutch, so I'm not you know, and my Dutch isn't very good, so uh, we'll see uh, how that goes. But yeah, it's it's happening, but in fits and starts and in weird ways, and it's unclear if there's ever going to be a certain. Well, Ever is a long time, but what what a sort of standard policy is going to be? It's it's a little weird to me to see like that the European countries starting to relax all those rules and like Korea saying it's opening up and like if you're vaccinated, no testing and isolation required, but also reporting record highest cases. record da- daily case rates. Um, and like if no one's dying, I guess it's okay. Which the Netherlands numbers are surprisingly good for deaths, considering how many cases there are. I guess, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, for my, I mean, I'll just give my quick two cent. What I've what read about this new variant is that it's much less lethal for people who are vaccinated, um, but it is very quickly, it is very quick to yeah. replicate and move. Um, so, uh, you know, people are going to get it. Hopefully, it means because it's less virulent and most of Europe is vaccinated, it means uh, healthier people uh, not dying. That it's it's not a big deal. Um, but it is interesting. I do agree with you. It's it's interesting to see these countries move that direction while this is kind of happening quietly in the background. I mean, it's it's kind of dropped off the news. I mean, there's a ton of reasons for that. It's, uh, you know, Russia and Ukraine being the number one reason. But it's just kind of quietly happened uh, that this has taken hold. Yeah. So, and, and all this happening, too, while the U.S. voted uh, – or they didn't vote, but they extended <laughs> the mass mandate by another <laughs> month. They voted in the opposite direction. Yes, yeah, so they right? voted the opposite direction, but – the Senate also voted to, you know, revoke daily save or to permanently extend daily saving time. So, lots of things get voted on that never happen. Yes, uh, I mean, I think, I think it doesn't. I think it signal. I mean, I, I hate using the word signals. I think it points to the mass mandate maybe at this April eighteenth date, maybe ending in the United States, um, because I think there's just some general unhappiness with it still mm. being still being there. Yeah. Uh, well, whereas you know, mass mandates in states have kind of fallen off so yeah how, how easy my, my, the thing i would say is and i would imagine this goes into the thinking a little bit is certainly at the federal level once it's gone this time i imagine the resistance to bringing it back would be insurmountable yeah and if we really are seeing another wave and spike which you know in the winters was sort of normal but if we're seeing a spring slash summer one is a different sort of level of worry yeah um that that could be an interesting you know, if, if the, I say, if the global numbers don't tail off, I could see pressure to keep it around for transportation. Yeah. Yeah. Whether that's right or wrong, debatable, but I could see that pressure. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's one, it's one area where the federal government can um, still, call, you know, call for a mandate. I, I do think it's interesting that even, I mean, my wife told me that people, airline employees are in Texas, aren't wearing masks in the airport, which I find fascinating. I'm not that surprised. So uh, I don't know. It's whatever it's uh, at this point, I just kind of ignore it and move on with my life. I'm wearing an N95 or K95. It's whatever. I'm not going to yeah. argue with crazy. So, um, but Canada is also doing some stuff right to open up a little bit and they're yes. going to no longer require testing for vaccinated visitors. At yeah. The beginning, so of that's, or April. Uh, beginning of April. So that's another one of like, again, this is mostly in favor of pet travelers and making things easier, but rules change rapidly. Um, and who the hell knows what's going on? I, I think this is more important to me than the masking on the planes. I, I really would like to see the United States drop the testing to, to enter for at least citizens um, sooner rather than later. Yeah. I think that's an important thing. So um, I don't think we're stopping COVID at the, at the border. So it's, it's just might as well remove that barrier to entry yeah keep the mask around as long as you want i I don't care yeah i mean would you test for unvaccinated 
I think you could in that case. I think you could. Um, right, like present vaccination, proof of vaccination, or if, I mean, then you get, or a negative you test. need to be boosted and how many and blah, blah, blah. But right. I, at some level, I feel like, and I, I have this problem for the conference I'm going to, um, well, by the time this episode comes out, I'll have already done that. But uh, next week, this week, whatever, uh, where or when I originally planned to go, it was proof of vaccination or negative tests required and masks required. And then D.C. changed the rules and now nothing is required. And I'm like, mm. OK, no, I get that. That's what the rules are for the city. And fine. Um, I'm going to be wearing a mask because I feel more comfortable that way around a bunch of strangers and in a closed space. But I would have felt more comfortable if. And, you know, less apprehensive about being there if the vaccination slash test rule remained, even if masking wasn't required. Yeah, I, I think I think that's kind of where I lean. I'm with you. Like, let's either you show proof of vaccination with a booster or whatever the requirement mm-hmm. is, or you show a negative test within the last, you know, two days or something. Yeah, um, I think that's there's, there's a lot of challenges in terms of how effective any of that will actually be. But I think it makes you feel safer. Um and I think it does actually catch at least some of it. Some of it. Yeah, for sure. I, I just think that like saying, oh, you're vaccinated and coming to the United States and you're a U.S. citizen and you have to be tested. It's just like it's a lot. I, it's a lot. And I I feel like anyway, I, I don't want to belabor this. subject. Yeah. it's just one of those things where I think we could make smarter decisions uh, and work, work, work smarter, not harder uh, to fix this. So, yeah, um, let's talk about Sky West. They're doing some weird stuff with uh, EAS routes, the essential air service routes. So they have submitted to the DOT that they want to slash like 28 or 29 markets. Wow. Um, citing pilot shortage. Where it gets super interesting is that historically the Department of Transportation hasn't been keen on uh, allowing airlines to walk away from their essential air service commitments. Mm-hmm. Right. The, the, air, the government pays for those flights to operate. Yeah. And... There's obviously, there's a lot going on there. Generally, some of the least profitable flights, uh, with, obviously without the subsidies, there they wouldn't exist. But I do have to wonder if at some point the U.S. Department of Transportation is going to go back and say, like, actually, you need to cut, like, the random 70-seater you're flying to a market that United actually wants served or Delta or whoever, you know, they're flying for. Um, but you have to keep this EAS route operating. If, if the, you know, if you can't operate all of your flights cut the other ones first. I could see that happening. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly at a minimum, I think there'll be a like push for 90 days because that's almost always with the EAS routes. If you want to walk away, you need at least 90 days so they can try to find someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also the question of like, why are they operating on 50 seat jets that are stupidly expensive to operate per seat mile when demand is tiny and, you know, Cape Air or Boutique or someone else running 10 to 14 seaters props would have been much more. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Made probably higher sense. loads made more sense, but also I think there's a version of that that says, Oh, it's a prop. I'm not flying on it, whether justified or not. And so you end up, even that would have terrible uh, load numbers and people just would drive some, you know, drive four hours to get to the airport instead. Yeah. Which is also not good. Do you think with, um, if, if they told, you know, United or they told SkyWest, you, you can't fly these routes for United, you have to fly these EAS routes. Like, do you think we would see some of this le- or less of the slot squatting that we see that you specifically United doing, um, on yeah, some of the routes? Alone. American's doing it too. Delta's doing yeah. it too. Yeah. Um, JetBlue's doing it. Anyone who flies to DCA, JFK or LaGuardia is doing it. Uh, would we see less of that? No, I think they'd end up having to put bigger planes in them. They're, mm. They they would do everything they can to protect those slots. I mean, and this is where the government could step in and say, okay, we're going to protect your slots. You don't have to fly it to, to keep these slots. Oh, uh, that's not going to happen. No? There would be outrage from all the other airlines, justifiably. As it, as it is, Southwest and uh, all the, you know, the low-cost carrier Spirit, Frontier, all those guys, JetBlue, have all been chomping at the bit trying to get at those slots. Uh and so if the U.S. Set, went back to, right, with 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 demand, I mean, should, there's a survey out from someone I saw this week that said uh, in February, passengers booked more tickets than they did in February 2019. Jeez. Uh, for domestic travel only. Obviously, international still barely exists. Um, and I would say that the, uh, like, 
the the chance of them going like the government's going to say you have to operate these flights. Dem- demand has returned. If you can't make mm-hmm. it work, let someone else step in and do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more than fair at this point. I, I just seen you know people taking photos of their DC eight and Newark flights or whatever, and it's mm-hmm. like oh well, they operate you know two of these within fifteen minutes of each other, and this one's completely empty, and the other one's right. full, but this one's empty, right? Uh, which is stupid. But yes. So uh, yeah, I mean. It's crazy. I mean, EAS. If you if you live in a city that has EAS service, you might just want to, and it's operated by SkyWest. You might just want to keep an eye on this, to, yeah. just in case for three months ahead of time if they do end up cutting it. Rolling uh, delays. Yeah. Are you allowed to have a rolling delay if you haven't actually started selling tickets yet? Uh, I think you can do whatever you want at this day and age. That's kind of how <laughs> well, I at this feel. point, it's a rolling delay on selling the tickets. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll start service in a month, two months, no, three months on time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is yeah. Norse, right? Norse Atlantic. Yep. The Norwegian long haul replacement that swears it's not the Norwegian long haul replacement. Yeah. Even though she's in the same planes with a new paint job flying many of the same routes. Are they, are they just not able to get pilots or is there something else going on? The, questionable demand and fuel prices are too high because of Ukraine. I'm suspicious about the questionable demand bit. Mm. Um, everything I've seen has suggested demand has not waned for transatlantic market this summer. Hmm. Um, Beyond that, uh, I would say there's, uh, you know, fuel prices are definitely higher. That's going to affect Norse's ability to operate profitably. And I'm sure there's other things as well. But, you know, picking how they're going to manage this is going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Not not a great set of circumstances when they thought they had a much better situation to start with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, eVTOL in Miami. Is this real? Is this really happening? Is this real life? Uh, is this reality? Uh, <laughs> is this really going to happen? Maybe. Um, it's so Eve is the Embraer spinoff that's doing electric vertical takeoff and landing. Um, signed a deal last week that's going to include airspace management and vertiports, which are what they're calling the pads that they take off and land at to connect the Miami beach convention center to Miami international airport. Hmm. Cause you know, that 20 minute taxi ride that like can be 40 minutes. Some days uh, is apparently prime candidate for little planes buzzing back and forth. Uh, <laughs> the I don't, I'm, I'm skeptical of the whole thing. Clearly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's a way to, for rich people to be silly and doesn't affect things in the way that like there was, so, uh, the Airbus, E-Bus, something like that. Someone had a version of these that was like a 30-seater. You know, if you're going to do that and have like enough and you can rapidly move people back and forth and you don't want to build uh, a tram line or something, fine. But you're doing it for mm-hmm. three or four people at a time. I think that's silly. Um, and, and certainly if you're pretending that it's like to reduce congestion and it's, you know, for the, the good of the common man. It's, uh, it's a good way to spend investor money. I mean, sure. And they're doing a lot of that. But yeah. anyway, uh so in the, as part of the announcement, Global X Crossing, Global Crossing Group, whatever the new airline that's actually based in Miami, um, that's trying to they're trying to break into charter markets to start and maybe eventually commercial. So if this sounds familiar, then you saw how Eastern did its thing and in various recent iterations. But uh, <laughs> I wish them luck. Uh, Cuba is one of their first markets, just like everybody else down there. Um, but yeah, it it. They're doing some athletic charter stuff too, I guess. But anyway, they've signed a tentative order for up to 200 of the uh, EV tolls to help run this thing. So is it real? Certainly not today. In five years, which is 2026, I think is what they're targeting. I think the hardware will exist. I'm not as certain about certification. And it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, And then if it's autonomous versus uh, crude or piloted and how that comes together, there's, there's a whole lot of things that we'll have to see play out. This is, this feels like the Theranos of the aviation world. Like we're solving a problem that some people have with a product that may or may not work. Give us uh, billions of dollars. Give us tons of money. And yeah. Let us be clear. Billions are being spent on this. Uh, yeah. And I have no doubt that people will be able to make the hardware work. Yeah. Um, the engineering can absolutely be accomplished, right? Same thing with like, Starship, given the right set of, you know, investments and time and commitment, you can make a giant ass rocket fly into space and carry like a huge amount of cargo with it. I think it's a, 
in that case, terribly inefficient and a stupid idea. I think these are less inefficient, but also of questionable value to society in the way that they're being pitched. Of yeah. like, you know, there'll be no traffic anymore because like that's that's not going to be true. <laughs> oh boy, um, American is bringing back alcohol in Coach. Yay! I, I, maybe, maybe I don't know. Yeah, JetBlue's came back last week. Uh, I think this makes Americans like the last one, maybe. But does Southwest have alcohol back? I thought they had beer back. Beer and okay. wine, maybe. Um, I don't know. There's maybe not. Actually, that you mention it. Um, yeah, it, uh, I'm. I was happy to be able to have a prosecco on my way to DC for a family thing last week mm-hmm. uh, because it made family better. Um, <laughs> Made napping better, that's for sure. Uh, but, you know, if, if you're going to go with the theory that alcohol is the problem that's making p- passengers so terrible, which I don't think is the case, but uh, then certainly adding more alcohol it doesn't seem like a smart choice. Uh, if you're making the argument that it was never an issue, I mean, now we get back to, like, masks and everything else. Uh, I think the timing of the American one that sort of aligns with the theoretical end of the U.S. mask mandate probably yeah. is not an accident. Yeah, makes sense. So makes sense. I'm going to, I'm going to save our last, well, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about okay. it. Um, I was going to save, let's put it in the bonus episode, but I think, I think it's good for everyone to hear. Cause I, yeah. I have thoughts and I want to know your thoughts. So uh, you were recently out in California. Yes. Uh, as part of that trip, you rented a Tesla. I did. Uh, so which Tesla did you rent? Uh, the three. Okay. So the, the car, the sedan the car. Yeah. Um, it was, I got it via Hertz. It was the same price or within the ballpark of, a traditional internal combustion engine rental. Certainly when I considered that I had to drive about 250 miles mm-hmm. from LAX out to Oxnard, California, then across to Burbank and then back down. Um, and at $5 in change per gallon in gas, yeah, uh, that up. was going to be, you know, 40 ish, 50 ish dollars of gas that I didn't have to buy. Um, I will uh, admit that I also really wanted to drive the Tesla. So I made it work. Did you, um, did you have to, did they ask you if you wanted to pay for the fuel service? Turned? <laughs> they did not. Um, <laughs> and so this is what's an interesting thing though, is like they, I got three different emails of how to drive an electric car, none of which I read. So shame on me. Uh, but one of the real interesting questions is, was I responsible for, fit, for returning it full? <laughs> right. Like I could have charged it. I can't, yeah. I can't fully charge it in three minutes. Yeah. Like I can fill a gas tank at a station right by the airport, but I could have found a way to do some charging. Like my buddy who I had dinner with that and I was like, yeah, there's a supercharger just around the corner. If you want to be like, if you need a book, if you need a little, you know, top off, top yeah. off to get down to the airport. And I, I turned out I didn't, and it was fine. I got back with like 60 miles range left. I will say it was impressive how accurate the range remaining was mm-hmm. um, in terms of like the number of miles I drove became the range. Like it said, you will have this many miles remaining when you get to this place amongst your stops and whatever. I don't know. Maybe it's just lying to me to make itself look good, but it seemed accurate. <laughs> um, have you driven one? I have not. Okay. So my friends who I had dinner with that evening, uh, own one and have had, had one for a couple of years. And so like, we're happy to like chit chat about it and you know, how, how are you liking this? How are you liking that? And I was like, I don't know these things that you're talking about because <laughs> I don't know all the features. So one of them is the, I don't say full self-drive, but the like assisted driving. Yeah. Like keep you in the lane type stuff. Well, but it's keep you in the lane plus cruise control and Mm -hmm. a few other things. It's, but like one of the things that really bothered me about the whole experience is that there's nothing in front of you, right? There's no console. So anytime you want to, you want to check your speed, you want to check the systems, whatever. There's a giant 15 inch or whatever screen, but it's on the center. So you Mm -hmm. have to turn your head away from the road to check anything. Yep. I'm sure over time I will feel more comfortable with that. But as a general rule, I feel I feel it's unsafe right now. Yeah. I'm like again, like I'm sure if I got used to it it would be better, but like to check my speed, I have to look away from the road. I don't like that. Yeah. But the uh the regen- regenerative braking is also like as you take your foot off the gas, it starts it's braking. braking. Yeah, it, yeah. It turns on the brakes to recoup some of that electricity. Obviously more efficient that way. I'm used to coasting mm-hmm. in my car. I spend a lot of time in my, you know, combustion engine with my foot not on the gas, I mean, sometimes dropping into neutral, like on a hill or whatever, on a downhill mm-hmm. and just letting yeah. gravity do its work. Um, and so I would have to relearn how to drive that. Apparently I can turn that off, but I didn't bother to figure out how. Um, the sort of self-drive thing, I had to turn on. I saw it in the options as I was poking around. Um, and I did for my 9.30 p.m. after a lovely dinner drive from Burbank slash Pasadena down to LAX. 
mm. which included the 110, which is a rather windy, uh, it is. Yeah. exciting, uh, sporty bit of driving. And I let the thing try to do that automated and was absolutely not willing to trust the car to do it. <laughs> Just like, I was like, oh God, what am I, is this going to work? Like, oh, 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 what? Well, no, it seems it's okay. It's okay. But the, the other thing though about it is like, you have to keep your hands on the wheel, right? And so it keeps reminding you to keep your hands on the wheel because it's not driving for you. Yeah. And yeah. if it thinks you don't have your hands on the wheel, and I did, but parts of it were like, they were actively resting on it. Parts of it, I just had them like hovering over it and this and that. And obviously I didn't have the control. I didn't have it gripped the way I was supposed to. Yeah. And the screen turns blue warning you to grip again. And so once or twice that I, now I know that I would do it more often, but like eventually apparently I missed one of the, these warnings because I was watching the road and hoping the thing would stay, you know, in my lane on the 110 as I'm weaving through at speeds I shouldn't probably have been doing in the dark. And all of a sudden it like started beeping at me. Like you have violated the self-drive rules. We will no longer be driving for you. Please grab the <laughs> ge- wheel again. <laughs> take the wheel, I guess. Uh, except it was Seth. Uh, Seth, take the wheel. <laughs> uh, um, I'm, I mean, tapped out is what I'm saying. I wonder if I wonder if um, the, the rental car companies see this as a plus because, like, they I wonder if they can like have a plug in. You know, they can pay Tesla to put a plug in in to say, yeah, after after they don't after they try to like let go of the wheel three times, don't do yeah. it anymore. Don't. No, I, I think that's just the way that they're built. I don't think yeah. it's special for the yeah. rentals. So, I what, so when this deal was announced, um, I had a conversation with uh, Jason Rabinowitz, who's been on the show a few times, about it. And, you know, it was sort of the – a lot of the things that I feel like happened to me were the, like, people don't know how to drive them yet, and so it's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not shy about the fact I think I'm smarter than the average bear. I figured it out. Um, I think most people will be able to figure it out. But there is definitely a learning curve to driving one efficiently and safely relative to uh, – yeah, a traditional vehicle. So, I I wonder like because for me the coasting the the coasting thing would bother me. Like and apparently, you can, like I said, you can turn that off. Apparently, yeah. I, but I would want the feature, right? Because you're since you're regenerating, you get battery life. Yeah, you're getting more battery life. Um, you drove it up to Oxnard. Did you stay in Oxnard? Is that I did. Thing? Did your hotel have a charger? It did not. Did I you... didn't need to charge my entire trip, so I got all I oh, got the wow. full loop okay. out of one tank. Wow, one, one wow. charge. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I, and I when I got in, it wasn't 100% full, but it was like 85 or 90%. And I actually, mm-hmm. as I was driving up, um, I put in, you could like put in multiple destinations on the map. Yeah. And it'll tell you what expected, whatever is. And I put all my destinations in and it told me I thought I would have plenty. And then the next day, even so some of it was in traffic. So it was a different time of day and whatever. And it still thought I would have plenty. And I did. Um, and I considered it, but that's where I ended up. And I'm guessing you can look up fast charge stations. Yeah. It, there's an option for the charging stations along the route. And you can like, I think there's even an option in the directions. You can say like, predict if I'm going to run out of juice. And if I am, tell me where to stop. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and, and a Spotify and, built in, which was interesting, but like, it also like log into your Spotify. I was like, I don't want to log in in a rental car. And then I figured out how to do it without logging in. But like, <laughs> I don't know. There's again, a lot of little things that I'm sure as I got more used to driving that type of vehicle would become second nature to me. What about at Hertz? Did, is the space, does it have a charger? Like where they park it? No, because it was just in the regular pickup lanes. I'm sure they've got a set of superchargers out back that they use. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me. I, I, I think the concept is fascinating. I've looked at, you know, could we rent one if we wanted to like go down to Texas and like drive that and see how it does. Um, to drive all the way to Texas or while you're there? No, to drive all the way down to Texas and like yeah, see like, if like, we could use the chargers along the way. Because there's a bunch of chargers along the way. Yeah, um, it still seems like a bad plan. <laughs> just, uh, I feel like you, I don't know, I, the amount of time it takes to refill is longer. Well, that's, that's, you're that's why they have like a road trip of it. Well, that's why they, that's why they make, uh, they have videos, they have a video player, like it can play videos. So you can just sit there and watch movies while it charges. Yeah. <laughs> Which I get that. Is, uh, but the other thing, I thought the build quality of Tesla, just everything I've seen about the build quality is questionable. Like it's, they're not a car manufacturer in the sense of consistency. Um, you know, if, if you get a lemon, good luck. Um, yeah. so as compared to like getting a lemon, you know, Volvo or whatever, where they fix it uh, and replace it or whatever. Yeah. And so that, 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 I, it makes me worried a little bit. I mean, I love the idea of an electric car. I think what we're leaning towards is one of these hybrids. It's a plug-in hybrid. Have you seen these? Yeah. They're, yeah. Inter- they're, they're interesting to me because yeah. they're, you know, you get 40 miles to a charge, um, but you can use a standard 110 plug at home. That makes um, a much smaller battery then. 
much smaller battery. It can do regenerative braking, so it kind of reacts like a, a normal okay. hybrid would. Um, Does it also have a combustion engine? It, and it also has a combustion engine. Okay. So the idea would be like you could pretty much do your entire like days, yeah, uh, you know, errands on a charge. Um, but if you needed the gas engine, it's there. And if you wanted to plug it in at a charging station, like at the, at the grocery store, you could do that as well. Um, but then you just come home and plug it in the garage and yeah. it's fine. Yeah. No, I, I think what I would say is I understand there's a lot of people that are obsessed with the Tesla. I think the build quality issues that you identified is certainly a challenge. There's also a lot of, though, of other, they're, they're not quite as prevalent, um, mm. but there are other options out there, right? I mean, like Audi has them or VW, like there, there's other brands that are making, uh, electric vehicles yeah i i I mean what do you think about so you know because it's electric and the motors are basically in all four wheels Mm what do you think about like the power delivery it i mean it's just get up and go right like there's no yeah so that was actually interesting one of the emails i think i read it somewhere in there was uh the uh zero to 20 pickup is incredible the sort of 50 to 70 or 60 to 80 for passing is not as impressive because you, you don't essentially, da- it doesn't essentially downshift mm. to accelerate if you're trying to pass on the highway. And it, I didn't find that to be a concern mostly because I drove uh, US1 up, or not US1, the 101 PCH yep. up to Oxnard, and then I drove across in traffic. So I, I don't need to be doing 80 miles an hour. Um, I had no opportunity to drive 80 miles an hour um, while doing it. But uh, I, I could, I have had that. Uh, experience with rental cars in the past and some types of cars. And I, I don't love it. Mm-hmm. Also, like I don't need to go from zero to 30 or 60 very quickly. I, I'm yeah, not in that. Not drag I, it's such a, yeah, it's such a weird metric for how good is this car that I don't understand. And don't, I, I sort of understand why people sort of used it in the past, but I just don't understand it today. Why that's a metric we still use. Well, and like the zero to 60 stuff, right. is like mostly about torque. Well, the, yeah, it's all torque when it's an electric bat. Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it, it, theoretically, it could probably go a lot faster if it didn't have wheels. You know, it could fucking fly. <laughs> um, That's our one. <laughs> so uh, it, it's things like that. I mean, I get why people drive them. I don't know that I would want one here in Portland. I feel like charging one might be a little bit more of a pain unless you had a fast charger in your house or just a, a nice charger in your house. Yeah. Um, I, if I if we buy one, I will expect that I have to put in a 220 high amp circuit. To, yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, and I'm not sure I'm ready to like eat that cost yet you know i don't know i mean and there's still a hundred thousand dollar car you know what i mean well not all i mean the the promise of the thirty five thousand dollar one clearly has not come to fruition but yes they're yeah. expensive vehicles yeah 80 you know 60 yeah. to eighty thousand dollars um i'm just thinking about the suv which is probably yeah. what i would need but um for yeah pet right. it's, it's a reasons. interest yeah no, i get it it's uh as I, I like i like the concept of the electric vehicles um i'd like to think that the next thing i buy new will be one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that's not for five plus years. Cause I'm no intention of buying a new car that soon. Yeah. 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 And by then who knows what the technology is going to do. Right. Yeah. So sweet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it charges as you drive in the sun, uh, which definitely wouldn't work here. So, hmm. <laughs> um, sweet. Well, you have, uh, anything else you want to talk about, about it? No, I, I I enjoyed the experience. I think, it, like I said, if the more I used to like, driving that, I'll get I get the happier I would be doing it. But um, certainly worth at least considering with if you're going to do high mileage and uh, the pricing works out. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna head down to South Africa, Iceland, and the Dominican Republic. I guess up to Iceland then uh, in the bonus episode. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, uh, stick around for that. If you'd like to become one, you can head to Patreon um, and subscribe to us. Uh, we would like to thank our new patrons since the beginning of March: John R. and Marcel M. Thanks for supporting the show. And uh, to our listeners, we'll talk to you next time. Happy travels. Take care. <laughs>